0: let us pray father on this day we give you great thanks for our ascended king of glory rightly seated at your right hand and as jesus has returned to your right hand he has also promised the comforter who will come that we look forward to on pentecost so lord speak to us now fill our hearts with thanksgiving and rejoicing and may you be glorified And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for being here. So good to see you tonight. And again, good evening to everyone watching via the live stream. As you saw, we, after the gospel reading is customary on Ascension Day, we extinguish the Paschal candle. um, And we do that Representing the fact that Jesus has now ascended back to the right hand of the Father in heaven. If you didn't know, um, paschal candles, ours has liquid oil, but they're so big because historically, especially in churches, they have marble floors and there was no risk of burning the building down. The paschal candle was lit at Easter Vigil and it burned constantly all the way through the 40 days until it was extinguished at the reading of the gospel on Ascension Day. So that's why paschal candles are so big. There need to be a lot of wax to carry on through that whole season. Ascension day and hearing the readings from Luke's gospel and Acts chapter one. For me, I know this sounds funny, always brings to mind the, um, the sculpture in the Ascension Chapel in the Our Lady of Walsingham Shrine in England. I don't know if anyone's ever seen Father Jed shaking said yes. If anyone's ever seen the picture or the sculpture of the Ascension in that shrine, which is a place of pilgrimage both for Roman Catholics and High Church Anglicans, but in the Ascension Shrine, Google it when you go home. We'll Google Images. There's this beautiful painting of the heavens and the clouds, and these two feet, marble feet, dangling out of the clouds in the ceiling. <laughs> and that's their rendition of the ascension but i that always comes to mind for some reason for me when i um when i when i hear the readings from the ascension as the cloud received him even as we sang out of sight yeah these these two nail feet dangling down out of the clouds in the ceiling and that's the full extent of the sculpture i'm looking at mother valerie's face <laughs> it is funny to see you got to google it um well, anyway, on that humorous note, thank you all for being here. And I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices, focusing on the reading from St. Luke's Gospel to chapter chapter 24 tonight. What I want to do is talk about what I would call the missional nature of Christ's ascension. How the fulfillment of Christ's earthly ministry is full, foretold in Scripture sets the stage for the continuation and extension of God's mission in Christ here on earth, through Jesus Christ's followers, through you and me. Much of the ascension involves the affirmation that the scriptures about Jesus are fulfilled. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples in Luke 24. And we need to remember, just as we have been with some of the other readings in St. John's Gospels, we were looking to on Sunday, these are some of the last things that Jesus says to disciples. But here in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, these are the very last words that he says to them before he ascends. It occurs immediately before he ascends back to heaven. So think of that context as they're gathered there on the mount of, and out as far as Bethany as Jesus blesses them. That means these words are of incredible importance. And Jesus begins by basically saying to them, you know everything that the scriptures promise. And you are seeing the fulfillment of these things right now, firsthand, before your very eyes. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of, the, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled jesus continues beginning in verse 45 to clearly instruct them specifically how the scriptures are being fulfilled and then in verses 46 and 30 47 he says thus it is written that the christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be claimed in his proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem So right here Jesus identifies three specific ways in which the promises of the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms are being fulfilled in and through Him. And when He says the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms He's essentially saying all of the Old Testament Scriptures, that's what that type of language represents. But the first way that things were fulfilled is that the Christ will suffer. The Old Testament Scriptures have prophesied this. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The scriptures promise that Christ the Savior sent from the Father would make forgiveness of sins a reality to those who would fully trust in him and in his sacrificial death. HE WOULD SUFFER AND DIE A SINNER'S DEATH IN OUR PLACE, AND ON OUR BEHALF. THE SECOND THING THE SCRIPTURES FORETOLD WAS THAT CHRIST WILL RISE FROM THE DEAD. AND JUST AS THE OLD TESTAMENT PROPHESIED THAT THE MESSIAH WOULD SUFFER, IT ALSO PROMISED THAT HE WOULD BE RAISED FROM THE GRAVE, GIVING ETERNAL LIFE TO ALL WHO TRUST IN HIM, EVEN AS JESUS FORETOLD THROUGHOUT HIS MINISTRY. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 tells us, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. The final thing we see that the scriptures foretold is that forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Forgiveness of sins will be preached in Jesus' name. I think most of us understand Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection as the fulfillment of God's promises in the scriptures. But I think sometimes we miss this one. The Bible tells us that repentance and forgiveness, i.e. salvation, in Jesus' name will be preached to all nations, to all people groups, to all ethne, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus said this to his disciples as well. And this is just as much a promise of God as Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Now Jesus ascends back to his father in heaven immediately after saying this. Look at the context of Luke 24 and the ending. You were witnesses of these things and behold I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So that raises the question Who is God going to use to fulfill this promise? What is God's plan? Well, again, I would take you back to verses 48 and 49. You, he says to those disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Christ's ascension back to the right hand of the Father in glory was essential for the continuing fulfillment, the continuing unfolding of God's plan and design, affirming Christ's eternal kingship and his rightful place at the Father's right hand in heaven. This ascension back to the right hand of the Father was necessary for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised to them that would begin on the day of Pentecost. So that God's people, both then and today, so that God's people would be empowered to continue this work of God, this work of Jesus. God used those early believers in incredible ways. The entire book of Acts is an account of this. Preaching, the proclamation of the gospel began in Jerusalem, but as the book of Acts progresses, we see this message being preached to the entire Mediterranean world, essentially what was much of the entire known world at that time to all nations and people groups, even on the day of Pentecost at that outpouring of the Spirit, people from all over that part of the world were present and the words of Acts 1.8 are even more precise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why did they preach and proclaim the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Again, I point back to verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. They saw it happen firsthand. They saw Jesus' ministry firsthand. They saw Jesus' healing miracles. They saw Jesus delivering people from demonic oppression and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They were witnesses to Jesus' suffering, and they were witnesses to his resurrection. And now they're witnesses to his ascension back to the right hand of the Father. Some of them had been there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they certainly were already personal witnesses to the reality of repentance and forgiveness of sins because they had experienced this for themselves in their lives firsthand. They were witnesses to the fact that their lives had been and continued to be radically transformed by Jesus, through Jesus, forever changed by him. And you know what? They couldn't help but preach this wonderful message to everyone they encountered. Right there in their community at Jerusalem and throughout the known world of their day. Acts chapter 4, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather to God than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 5, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And the story goes on and on and on. In proclaiming this message, they were acting as God's agents, obeying his command walking his will and fulfilling the prophecies of scripture. Isaiah 42 verses six through seven reminds us, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This prophecy really has a dual fulfillment. It was fulfilled in Jesus himself. Simeon recognized this in Luke two, when the baby Jesus was presented at the temple, but it is also fulfilled as those early believers began to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I'm going to read a passage from Acts chapter 13, verses 46 through 48. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth." And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejo- they began rejoicing and glorifying God excuse me, glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We see the gospel going from the Jews to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. They had a story, a true and living story to tell, a story that wasn't a myth or a tale, but something that others desperately needed to hear. And this was not their idea. It was God's. It was by God's design that this would take place. God's design, even from ages past. It was fulfilled by the early church because the ascension is indeed missional at its core. When we understand that God's mission in Jesus through his coming to earth through his dying, through his rising, through his ascension. God's mission on earth through Jesus is to reconcile the world to himself. And even as St. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are now Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us, through them. But it didn't stop with them. It continues with you and me. And let us not forget in reading the glory and the wonder of the ascension and what took place, what Christ said to his followers then and what he says to us today. It doesn't stop. But through the ascension and then through the ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, God calls us to be those witnesses in our day, in our age, wherever he has placed us. Oswald Chambers writes this about the ascension. We have no experiences in our lives that correspond to the events in our Lord's life after the transfiguration. Now, this is the transfiguration, not the ascension, okay? After the transfiguration. From that moment forward, his life was altogether substitutionary. Up to the time of the transfiguration, he had exhibited the normal, perfect life of a man. But from the transfiguration forward, Gethsemane, The cross, the resurrection, everything is unfamiliar to us. His cross is the door by which every member of the human race can enter into the life of God. By his resurrection, he has the right to give eternal life to anyone. And by his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, keeping the door open to humanity. The transfiguration was completed on the mount of the ascension. If Jesus had gone to heaven directly from the Mount of Transfiguration, he would have gone alone. He would have been nothing more to us than a glorious figure. But he turned his back on the glory and came down from the mountain to identify himself with fallen humanity. The ascension is the complete fulfillment of the transfiguration. Our Lord returned to his original glory, but not simply as the son of God. He returned to his father as the son of man as well. There is now freedom of access for anyone straight to the very throne of God because of the ascension of the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, Jesus Christ deliberately limited his omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. But now there is his in absolute full power. As the Son of Man, Jesus Christ now has all the power at the throne of God. From his ascension forward, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of lords. And because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he has given us this mission to continue the work of reconciliation, to to see the world come to Christ. We, brothers and sisters, through Christ's finished work, through his ascension and glorification are called and empowered to be those ministers of reconciliation which God has designed us to be. And don't look at your neighbor. That's every single one of you. That's every single one of us who knows Christ that's watching on the live stream through the ascension, through our King of Kings, through the marching orders he has given us we are to continue that work and that is the missional heart of Christ's ascension let us pray father thank you for all that Jesus has done for his work that is finished his work of salvation and that now you call us as his ambassadors his ministers of reconciliation to continue that work In the power of the promised Holy Spirit that you would pull her out on the day of Pentecost. Lord, may we not lose sight of this reality. As we marvel and wonder at Christ's ascension. As we have just a small limited understanding of the glory in which he is enthroned. May we remember that we are children in the service of the king. And that your call to us is to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors, to share your good news for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.